Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. It is I, Matt Offenbacher, and my co-host Justin is tied up in a meeting, so he'll probably jump in soon, but I didn't want to waste any time bringing on our special guests. They're with Oliva Gibbs. We've got Zach Oliva, partner, and Chuck Lundeen. And just a little background for y'all. I know this is a drilling fluids podcast, but generally we like to talk about technology and we like to understand more about how the oil field works. And Zach and Chuck are going to be able to tell us a little bit more about that from the legal side, especially. And I'm sure I would ruin it. I'll just say for our regular listeners, I know Zach through our mutual friend, Josh Young, who's been on the friend of the show, if you will. And one day Josh was grilling meat as he does. And I just realized Zach really needs to, like, we really need to hear from these guys. And so Zach, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what you do. And then we'll have Chuck talk a bit more about how y'all work together. Sure. My name is Zach Oliva, and I'm a founder of Oliva Gibbs LLP. We're a law firm, I guess, headquartered in Houston. We have offices in Columbus, Ohio, that services the Marcellus and Utica Shale. We also have an office, which Chuck recently opened in Oklahoma City. We really advise a wide range of clients from Fortune 500 you know, operators to private equity backed companies, which is more prominent these days, to mineral buying companies. Our attorneys are licensed in 10 states. We do a lot of work in Louisiana, Montana, Texas, New Mexico, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming. And really, we were founded in 2013, and our firm is anchored by really skilled title, opinion, and transactional attorneys, former landmen, and many of our team members are board certified in oil, gas, and mineral law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization. And Chuck and I have actually known each other for about 10 years now, and we always looked for a way to work together. And we had a natural fit to be able to work together to expand you know, the firm's offerings and assist our client base a little bit more directly with opening up an office in Oklahoma City. Was it earlier this year? Yes. Earlier yes. this year, I think in January. And Chuck's been kind of spearheading that effort in Oklahoma. And Chuck, could you tell us a little bit more about your relationship with Zach and with the firm and a little bit about your story? Yes, I was a senior manager of land for the Western Devon Energy. After about seven or eight years, I realized that really my position had kind of gone stale. I was managing five managers who knew what to do. There was really nothing to do but oversee them. I had a law degree. I'd been in private practice for eight years. The guy that I sold my firm to was Kerry Kilburn, and that's where Zach worked. And so I left Devon to go to work and help this law firm start up again in Houston. And Zach and I happened to be next door to each other. First day of work, I was in business development, so I wore a blue and gold tie, striped tie. And he first thing Zach said to me was, don't ever wear that tie around me again. <laughs> What a jerk. And later to come find out, I found out he's a big Ohio fan, and that was a Michigan colors. 
needless to say, we've become best friends since and had a longstanding relationship, but that's how we met. You know, I think I remember meeting you, Zach, at maybe Josh's birthday party. Mm-hmm. And our common thread was that my whole family's from Ohio and my parents went to Ohio State. I Great think point. I remember that. And that yeah. was like, then we got to talking and it was like, wow, we actually, you know, know a lot of the, or we work for a lot of the same operators just in a different capacity as a service. Yeah, we provider. actually do share, I'm sure we still do. We do share a lot of common clients with you guys. We just work with them, like you said, in, in totally different capacities with totally different teams. So one of the interesting things when we were sort of talking yesterday about what we were going to talk about was just kind of the nature of your business. You co-founded this in, in 2013. You've been able to assemble this great team of people you clearly respect. And I guess a lot of that is built off of trust. A lot of it's built off of relationships. A lot of it is built off of a reputation that you continue to build to this day. And I don't know, as I don't know, at AES Drilling Fluids, we like to think that those are the kinds of things we want to do. We want to have long-term relationships with customers. We want to find the best people that we respect the most to both work for and work with. And so I guess there's two parts to that question. One is, you know, how did it all begin as far as you helping customers on the legal side, you know, founding an organization? And then how has it affected you, you know, into the future with what you do? Because I think a lot of our listeners won't know exactly, okay, mineral rights. I think there's just lawyers involved that make sure, you know, everything's clean, kind of like getting a clean title to a house. But what does all of that look like when you're trying to build trust and establish relationships? Sure. So I guess I'll go into a little bit first of what it is that we do for your listeners, and I'll try and tie it to their jobs. Basically, when a company decides to do a drill well, they need to make sure that you know, not only they have the legal right to do so, which there are private legal rights to consider being the mineral owner and the surface owner's rights, but also are there any state or federal implications for drilling that well in that location? Are there any regulatory issues to be aware of for that location? So we work with the land teams mostly depending on the size of the company, sometimes we might work with the house council, but generally we're working with the land teams and those land teams are working with the geology and engineering departments to kind of come together on a well location. And then we handle the legal aspects of that well location. Really when it comes to building trust with clients, it's pretty simple. You just have to do what you say you're gonna do. And you have to have a lot of integrity if we take on work from a client, if you know the deadline is known and we work with our clients to try and you know know those deadlines, and sometimes they change, which I'm sure your listeners are, you know, I'm sure you know you guys are very used to switching timetables all the time. But if a client needs something done by X date, we just get it, try and get it done, or try and work with them to get it done by X date, and we don't hire people who miss deadlines. And, you know, our service to our clients is paramount throughout the firm. And that's on everyone, no matter what your job role, whether it's attorney, law clerk, administrative assistant, you're in the marketing department, that integrity and that service to clients is on everyone's forefront. Chuck, it sounds like you've had a pretty extensive career, you know, pre the firm and joining. Would you say kind of your history and your experience, how does that 
draw in or tie into some of the things Zach is talking about with respect to providing this clarity on legal issues in a you know quick period of time, but living up to your commitments and maybe that that's not as common as people would think it is? Yeah. I mean, I've been on both sides of the fence. Probably about three quarter of my career was as a landman, vice president of land for public and private companies. And then about quarter of my career has been in the legal side. So I've seen both sides and I know it's required what landmen expect. And what Zach said is exactly right. Bringing in clients isn't the hard part, it's retaining them. Mm-hmm. And to retain them, you must follow through with what you say you're going to do. These opinions are million dollar wells behind them. You know, you know that from your fluids background that you know this it's a big operation and what they do relies on the information we provide them up front. You'll see this at the beginning of a well and at the end of the well. The beginning of the well, when they want to know if they have a legal right to drill and any issues that come up and then the end of the well, who gets paid once you get production? Division mm. orders. So it's a long-term relationship per well. At some point, we may even have to prepare subsequent agreements and update those. So it's a long-term arrangement, but the landman really relies on the attorneys for the information and they expect it. Retaining them is a tough part. And we accept no liability for what happens between the beginning of the well and payout. That's all. (laughs) Well, with that, I think it's also an interesting thing. Like, you know, people say, look, you could make a lot of money off of a customer by over adding too much chemical, just over treat the system. You get a really big Uh, bill, make a lot of money. And we try and point out to anybody who would bring that up, I want to be working with you 10 wells from now. I want to be working with you 10 years from now. And it starts with doing the right thing here. And so these short-term gains just don't really do much for me. And I've found that when I talk the customer out of doing something really that could be quite expensive and they say, why are you doing this? I know you can make a ton of money. I've told them, well, it's because when I tell you to do something expensive, we'll have that trust that it is the right decision. And so when all those things are in the balance, especially when you're talking about as much as we want to talk about the economics of our drilling fluid and drilling a good well and that sort of thing, there's no point in drilling a well you are not legally entitled to drill or that you cannot generate the return on your investment because you drilled into somebody else's lease or, you know, you goofed in some other fashion. Well, you know, maybe, I mean, there's been plenty of trespass wells drilled where folks have, you know, done the back of the envelope math and, and thought that maybe it was worth the cost of the trespass, whatever that legal action w- would cost them. But I do agree with you, especially on, so we tend to look at situations with every client where, where can we add the most value? And we have always looked to, I know it sounds crazy, like, you know, saving oil companies money. But that's not really, it's not really about saving oil companies money. It's about adding value to our clients. Sometimes that involves saving them money in areas where maybe they're not aware of, or maybe they don't have to worry about this formation, or we can do this project in a more efficient way. Then it's a different way that they've thought of for a, maybe a big due diligence project or something. And so my partner, Brad Gibbs, is really good at coming up with these solutions with clients. He's kind of on the project management side of the business, but we're always looking for ways to add value to clients. And the more that we have been able to add value to people, the more that our business has grown. And so I think when I first started practicing law 
and was trying to bring in clients. I mean, I was 25, you know, fresh out of law school. I didn't really know much of anything. I thought about business development as largely sales and largely what can I get out of people? Mm. I can get, you know, this company, I can get this much work from them or this company, I can get this much. What can I take basically from them? And frankly, I mean, Chuck has been a huge mentor of mine over the years and he just adds value to every single interaction that he has with people. And I think I probably absorbed a lot of that, you know, over the years and it's made working with our clients and working in this industry a lot more fun because it feels good to give. Mm. It feels good to add value to people. And so that's really been a shift in my thinking over the last, you know, 10 years. I think that there's a lot of takers in the world and trying to get people over to be more givers than takers. It seems to be tough and seems to require, you know, firsthand evidence on their end rather than anecdotal from someone like me. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, I feel like some of the most career making moments I've ever had were when that level of trust was so great that, you know, customer said, go for it. I trust you. I need you to provide the guidance right now. I'm just here, but I've really got to lean on you. And I'd imagine with the stakes of some of the things y'all deal with, that becomes huge. But kind of going back to the story and Zach, I'd love to hear your perspective, but I actually like Chuck to start on this one. Thinking about going from trying to build business, you're starting out and, you know, I need billable hours. I need clients from that sort of mentality of sort of survival to becoming maybe more established and realizing I need the right clients. I need the long-term clients. I need the people I work with best. Did you have a moment where you realized that or were you pretty well established starting out and didn't wrestle with that? And then Chuck, if you could respond and then maybe Zach, tell us about, you know, your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's all about relationships. And you know, when I started out, we didn't have the social media. We didn't have all the tools you have nowadays. We did not have. I mean, you had to get out and see mm. people. Relationships is so important. All the young landmen and attorneys that worked for me in the past, you know, I always instill in them to get out and see people. There's no substitute from a face-to-face meeting. The next time you meet that person, your conversation is totally different mm. when you talk to each other, you get more respect, you get an answer, you're not blown off. It's a whole different relationship. You know, as time went on in social media, social media me now just allows me to get a big database of clients and potential clients, but I still go see them. Yes. I still make sure that we, I go to all networking events. You know, the last person someone thinks of, or the first person someone thinks of is often the last person they saw. Mm. I want to be that last person they saw. Zach and the firm have allowed me to attend numerous functions, which is great. They give me the resources, the tools to go out, and it's been very beneficial. That's what you've got to do. A lot of firms think that they can be Lincoln lawyers and sitting in their car and getting work that way, but it's a dog-eat-dog world out there, and you've got to be in front of people and show them you care. Absolutely. I think there's a huge human side to that where, like you said, social media might generate an initial connection, but if you're not physically present, I mean, as we hopefully move on from whatever misery COVID-19 and travel restrictions caused, I'm probably traveling just as much or more because I haven't seen so many people face-to-face in such a long time. Mm And we we miss each other professionally, you know? Mm -hmm. I think too, it's important to pay it back. I mean, be involved, try to be involved in different organizations that you're 
Landman organizations. I'm really involved in mentoring programs. I chaired the University of Oklahoma mentoring program for seven years and was involved 14 years. All those students over the years are now friends of mine. They all work for different companies. It was a, you know, it's been a great relationship builder. Plus, I've helped out a lot of students get jobs and we've stayed friends. So, you know, get out of your office, get involved, meet people and do some good. Absolutely. True everywhere. So, Zach, going from the needing your customers or that transactional perspective to that mutual perspective, could you tell us a little bit about that evolution, especially when you're scraping by trying to set up your own practice and that sort of thing, how that transformed for you? Yeah. I mean, I think it was just, I think it was a natural kind of evolution because I started working with folks more and you just naturally, you know, build relationships with people and you tend to, you know, shockingly, if I have two clients that I'm working for and I love working with one of them because they're a blast to work with, they take their job, you know, very seriously and they're, you know, they're an A player at their organization. And frankly, I'm not having to chase them down to get paid. Also mm-hmm. helpful. I'm going to show up a lot more for that person and work on building a better relationship with them than I am with the client who is not responsive, doesn't give what I think is adequate, you know, direction, or is very disorganized or whatever. So, or maybe we just, there just isn't a natural fit there. I mean, they could be an amazing performer and for whatever reason, there's just not a natural fit there for our two companies to work together, which I mean, that happens probably more often than not because there's other firms out there, right? That they have better natural fits with. So I think, you know, if you just surround yourself with people that you like, then it's going to show up in your work quality too, right? Yeah. And I'll say as an observer, one thing I'm very good at when it comes to attorneys is freeloading off of their parties at NAEP. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's interesting. I have a lot of friends that are attorneys in oil and gas and otherwise throughout the Houston area. And, you know, most of the work I've done with legal is, has been patents, you know, intellectual property stuff. But when we've looked at other things, we built a few relationships, but when you go to these parties at NAEP, it's interesting because you sort of get a sense of the culture of the company when you walk in and Um, because there's an image they're trying to convey too, right? We know some of the bigger higher end ones, you know, they want to make you believe you got to be on the list and you got to be dressed a certain way. And, you know, if, if they don't really recognize who are you and why you're here and there's sort of a coldness where it's like, you obviously have room for me and you invited me. So why do I have to like, there's that sort of vibe. And then there's, you know, I remember going to your event last time and it was, there were a bunch of people lined up to get checked in and you just uh-huh. walked out. You said, nobody needs to sign in. Just come have a drink. And it was that sort of like, you know what? That's what like you'll know who was there. You'll remember who you talked to or hopefully right. someone will remind you. But the fact is, like, we're all there to have a good time. And well, we're there to meet people. Exactly. Well, and, why put barriers between ourselves and the goal? I think that what happens is probably there's like, you know, especially at NAPE, some of the more formal happy hours, you know, there's a vendor out there that's selling QR codes or they're selling some sort of lead tracking system and they want everyone to follow that lead tracking system. And so everyone has to stand in line and wait to get signed in and stuff. And, you know, I think that 
you know, I met last night. Chuck was at a happy hour over in the east side of downtown. I was next door and I picked him up. And then we had two guys from an operator in Midland that were waiting for an Uber. And I said, man, just we're all going to the same hotel. Everyone just jump in the car and let's just go. So actually that inviting you to the party was one long drawn out effort to get on this podcast. Okay. <laughs> it started three years ago. We're way cheaper than that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and just for the record, he did make me check him. Oh, well, I feel so exclusive. Well, actually um, this year, I believe that Nape is having the first ever beer garden. And I think we are the sponsor for that beer garden. So that'll be pretty cool. And I think okay. we're having a happy hour over at Rustic behind the George R. Brown. Right on. Well, I'll be sure to be there. I might even check in. Yeah. Well, just kind of circling back to that story, I think it really reflect just sort of reflected just sort of the culture of your, and I've been to a couple of these now where I just see there was that other what, summer nape or whatever the makeup one was where you were one of the few companies having a party because I don't know, it was Omicron. There was something going on, but like your place was packed. It was jammed right. up and everybody was having a great time, but I got to meet several attorneys from your group and it was just there. Everybody was easy to talk to. Uh-huh. They didn't care, you know, that I wasn't a landman or I didn't, right. I didn't have it. It was just, Hey, I'm going to work the room, chat, get to know some people, you know, add me on LinkedIn, you know, that kind of thing. And it was really unassuming where it's more interesting at the kind of the ones where they're trying to convey an image where you could see them processing, like, what value are you to me right now? You know, and I get business has to be done, but it was just... Right. No, um, I know what you mean. You're talking to someone and they're kind of scoping the room for who can Yeah, I talk like, to let me find somebody yeah. who's important, Matt, yeah. go, go in the back. <laughs> but I did want to switch gears. One other thing we talked about, Zach, well, I'll contextualize this. I have a friend who is an attorney, or it's a friend of a friend, and he was in DC and met another guy and his business card is just so-and-so attorney and on the back of the card, it just says, I know my blank. And I was like, you know, that's a very confident thing to say, <laughs> but there's also a point where I'd kind of like, I want a lawyer who knows their stuff to the point where like, I can just count on them to give me the right opinion or the right guidance and trust. Uh-huh. And part of that is being equipped and I know you've told me about how your organization has made great efforts to educate people on what to look for, for their legal needs on the client side. And so could you guys talk more about how you try and educate, like we do this podcast, we can educate our, you know, our customers and anybody else, and hopefully they trust us and want to use us. So could you tell me about your educational efforts and programs? Sure. So Chuck actually has been, Chuck, I'll talk about the university first, and then you can talk about what you guys are doing in Oklahoma City next week. So we actually are are building a university inside of our law firm to coach and teach all of our team, all the folks on our team. We've got about 40 folks that work for us now on, you know, not only legal skills, cross-disciplinary legal skills, you know, if you're an excellent oil and gas attorney in Texas, we want you to know also what an excellent oil and gas attorney in North Dakota knows mm. and work with the folks on our North Dakota team. We want our marketing team to have oil and gas legal training so that they can produce better communications for our clients. We have all of our team members trained on 
time management, task management, organizational skills. And we work to improve that. It's called OGU, so Oliva Gibbs University. We work to improve that university every quarter. And you know, my partner Brad and I, our goal with that university is how can we add the most value to our employees? Mm. Right. So it's not only about adding value to our clients, but it's also about really valuing our employees. We're all building this together. We're all making money from the same company together. And so we are really focused on how we can serve and value our employees and their career goals. And Chuck works with building out similar programs with our clients. Yeah, in Oklahoma City, we have a large client that recently made a big Texas purchase. And unfortunately, none of their employees have Texas experience. So Interesting. Yeah, so they have to adjust quickly and learn. And so we are helping them at no cost, I might add, hmm. with webinars and in-person seminars to train them on Texas. We feel that this is beneficial to them and also us. I mean, we're, we're telling them what they need to know so they can give us the work to carry forward, build a trust relationship in that regard. It's been very beneficial and, and we really like doing that. In fact, Zach and Brad will be coming to Oklahoma City next week and we'll be doing a live presentation to this group. Yeah. It's fantastic. We put on schools all the time and I have a couple other people that can help and it's a lot of work. Um, but a lot of work. I get so much out of hearing the questions the customers ask sometimes loop back to me, what am I not answering correctly? What are the concerns I missed? My group kind of cross-discipline, we're small enough, but I actually asked when I joined AES, could I have marketing as a technical guy? And I was told, we actually thought that was really weird when you asked, but now we get it because our you know technical folks are actually putting together the marketing materials. They're putting to, you know, the marketing folks are helping the technical folks put together training materials. So they look good, they communicate clearly, but they're also very material and, and robust in content. But it's just so valuable, like a very well-equipped customer. And I mean, very, very well-equipped internally as far as training our own people. It just makes everybody better. Absolutely. I mean, most employees want to feel like they're growing and, and being developed. But having an internal university, was that something? Did you have to develop the curriculum all by yourself? I mean, on both sides, Zach, starting internally... Did you have like some sort of syllabus already together or was this all homegrown? I think over the years, I've been gradually just kind of gathering information on this. We decided to make it alive last year and, you know, we have a certain vision for it and we get feedback from, you know, both clients and our staff every quarter on, hey, this worked that way better than what we thought it was going to, or, mm. Hey, this initiative that we had tied to the university really didn't hit home the way we thought it was going to. And so let's rethink how we launched that again, or maybe we just completely, you know, cut it out. We also offer monthly webinars to clients and they get continuing education credit. And, you know, it's also really helpful having someone like Chuck on staff who has been on both the client side and the legal side. So he can look at, you know, and we have a few other attorneys who are also landmen on staff and, you know, can look at an issue and say, yeah, that's great how you guys solve this in a lawyer way. Mm. But here's how, because we've been on the client side, 
here's how you need to phrase it, or here's how you need to frame it, or here's what this means when we hear this type of information. So that's been, I think that's made us much better communicators and ultimately, you know, better counselors for our clients too. And I think that education builds trust. I think it's one of those, well, if you told me all these things and equipped me with all these things, I mean, I've found over the years, there've been people who are sort of afraid of sharing too much information for fear you might go somewhere else or, Mm. you know, I'm not as necessary anymore because I told you all the important stuff. And I kind of pride myself on trying to be an open book within reason, but it's sort of fascinating how people struggle with that. And at the same time, how valuable it is when you're willing to give away information. And the irony is in this day and age, you can also Google a lot of this stuff, right? Like most of the time you might tell somebody something and y'all can disagree with me, but I'll go into a customer's office and I'm talking chemicals and these are drilling engineers that, you know, they might not know a ton, but they've already done their research. And sometimes you're, it may be bad information, but they've got information and you need to be more than prepared for those curveballs where it used to be, you walk in the room and you just, whatever you say must be true. Right. Right. Well, I would say a lot of our job is being really good listeners and pulling information out of clients to help them reach the right conclusion for their drilling program. It's easy to be, to play like the really smart lawyer, I have all the answers card. And I think it's a lot harder to be a really good listener to what your client's needs are. And Maybe they don't need this, you know, maybe they, you know, have a project for you to work on and you think that they need X, they think that they need X. And then you're, you see something in the project. And so you start asking more questions and then it turns out that, oh, actually Y would be much better for Mm. them and would really serve the needs of the organization. So, you know, we try and have those you know, clear communication and and the client experience is one of our our core values and also having a culture of collaboration with our clients. So we really try and work with them. And, you know, part of Chuck's job is being a client advocate. And, you know, I think he does a remarkable job at that. I mean, because clients, you know, sometimes clients need an advocate in a company. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been really beneficial for the firm is having Chuck, you know, watching out from the client, from the client's perspective, just to make sure that the communication is really, really good. Chuck, could you maybe highlight a little bit more about how you see your role in doing that? Yeah, it's really important to get new clients in, but it's even more important to show the current clients that you have that you're not being complacent with them and that they still mean a lot. And you just got, you've, you've got to keep two balls going at the same time. Well, I'm continually working to get new clients to the firm. I'm also continually working to keep the clients that we have, make sure that they're getting what they need. Communication is key. You can look at any complaint with a bar association in any state, and I guarantee the number one complaint is communication, mm-hmm. lack of communication. And it's so important for us just to communicate and stay in touch with everyone. Keep in front of them. Don't forget them. And let them know that they're still, you know, they've got a choice. There's a lot of attorneys out there. We're not cocky enough to think that we're the only ones in town for them to use. It doesn't take but a moment to try somebody else. So we try to, to stay in front of them and be their number one choice. Well, like this client in Oklahoma, 
that we started working with and they acquired a big asset in Texas. And Chuck just said, look, I met with them and, you know, they're trying to build out their team very quickly and they need help because mm. they have, they don't have a ton of Texas experience. So how can we help out? And Brad, my partner, Brad and, and Chuck very quickly working with our, you know, head of marketing, put together a program to actually help them learn more about Texas and on the things that they actually needed to know for their jobs and, you know, are executing on that. And I think it's a huge value add for them. So I think it's, you know, telling that Chuck's first step on that was not, they just acquired a big asset in Texas. Let's figure out a way to work with them. His first step was, how can we help them? You know? So I I think that that is just kind of the knee jerk reaction that frankly, we look for in our hiring process too, where if that is how someone comes across, then then we want to work with you. So kind of alluding to those things, what are differences between states? And, And I mean, we see it. Look, you can ask any of our field people, the difference between drilling on federal land and drilling on university lands, like in a heartbeat, they'll already know things have to be done differently. And New Mexico versus Texas, for that matter, regardless. But what are some things between states that y'all maybe look out for, or maybe are kind of some nuances that make basically getting the rights to drill somewhere different or more challenging or however? Chuck, do you want to go first? Well, each state you know, has its own nuances. For example, you've got title standards in Oklahoma. The attorney relies on title standards. It's kind of a roadmap to what general law is. And in Texas, same way, they've got title standards. To my knowledge, New Mexico doesn't have title standards. You've got, and just like you said earlier, I mean, each state has its own situations, you know, federal, state, and that even goes with surface. You know, there's, there's a lot of surface use issues nowadays. Uh, landowners are very knowledgeable and informed. And it's not just like in the old days where you just kind of go on and give them a hundred bucks and move on location. They're very educated and informed on what their rights are mm. over the years. So yeah, and not only the laws vary, but values. It's amazing. The state line is like some sort of imaginary line that where the price on one side of it may be double what it is on the other side, just because the state it's in, not, not necessarily where the hydrocarbons are found. And likewise, the same for what we charge. New Mexico attorneys, they're harder to find. Titles a little different, and they're expensive. Louisiana, very expensive. Oklahoma, not not so much so. There is a difference in, in the regions as far as what you could bill also. And also, there's different philosophies at the policy level in some states. So, for example, in Texas, you know, you've heard before that you know, someone on their deathbed might say, you know, never sell your mineral rights, right? Mm -hmm. And in states like Ohio, for example, around 2006, the Ohio legislature enacted a law called a Dormant Mineral Act, which means that if you don't exercise your rights to your minerals over a certain period of time, you actually lose your mineral interest. Interesting. And in Texas or Oklahoma, I mean, you could sit on your mineral rights without activity for 100 years, and that would never happen. And in Ohio, it does happen. So that's a totally different policy, right? And I would say with regards to the complexity of the legal work, 
in states where there has historically been oil and gas production, Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, the complexity of that work is significantly more so than states like Ohio, where there has not traditionally been oil and gas production, or maybe it was, you know, some Clinton wells in the 80s, service well stuff that was drilled, but no like huge HPP fields blocking up deep rights or anything like that. <laughs> That's Man, a really, you, oh, go ahead, Chuck. No, you go ahead. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change subjects. Oh, well, I was going to say, I found it really interesting when I worked overseas because you'd work in countries that had new discoveries that hadn't had a history of oil and gas for a very long time. You had others that have been doing it for 150 years. And a number of them, especially offshore, because offshore drilling hadn't been done, would cite Louisiana 29B or something. So it would have specific, in Indonesia, they had specific offshore regulations. And then it basically said anything that isn't mentioned here goes by Louisiana 29B and its most current version, which I thought was just funny that Indonesia was just sort of like, well, if it's good enough for Louisiana, it's good enough for us. But I've come across that in a few countries in my career where like, they didn't really know what to do and they didn't have a lot of a history there. And so they just said, well, whatever they're doing over there must be good enough. But anyways, funny story, but Chuck, go ahead. Yeah. I was just curious from companies like yours, in what ways do you use legal services for like a firm such as ours? Would a firm such as ours be a benefit to service industries such as yours? I mean, most of our legal, you know, a lot of ours is contracts and, and that sort of thing. So a service agreement with, with an operator, the thing is, as a service provider, we traditionally, you know, it's the operator's location. It's the op- ultimately the operator's decision. We are an advisor. And so because of that, we're a little bit removed from a lot of, you know, the transactional side of things, even when sometimes we'll be in the loop on, you know, so-and-so is looking at some acreage and, you know, you know, would you know anything about that area or something mm-hmm. like that? And, you know, it's like bidding on work. But we, we seldom, we're not really involved on the side of any of the acquisition stuff other than hearing the rumors and sharing the gossip. <laughs> well, I was trying to think of, of anything else we should talk about. I think in the grand scheme of things, it's kind of interesting because y'all, like us, I think you work for some fairly large companies and then you work for some smaller privately held. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was telling Zach, you know, we have customers with their whole, you know, separate legal department. And then we have others where, you know, they might be listening to this podcast in their office and the person next door is the, you know, in-house attorney or a mm-hmm. landman. There may only be 10 of them in the whole office. And I think it's interesting because you've got to be skilled at engaging with large companies a little differently because of their expectations and resources, but they mm-hmm. still can you you can still help. And you still do a very good job. And then the smaller side is, or the flip side is the smaller folks who probably want more of you given their lack of resources, but they're also, you know, it's, it's a very different business as well, as far as the way you engage with them, but y'all seem to manage to do both. And do you feel like there's a different posture? Do you put different attorneys or personality types on those sort of things? No, I think it's just, you know, people and we've had clients I think back in 2014, during that downturn, one of our clients had, you know, 30 or 40 people on their land team. 
and a lot of those folks got let go or left and they all ended up going in with different smaller operators or different private equity backed companies and so it was you know same people maybe different priorities or different speeds obviously mm. we work with folks of all different sizes as long as the relationship's good and we think that we can add value to their program i think with bigger companies one of the things that we really try and do is you know some of these companies can have 10 or 15 different points of contact and they do reorgs a lot mm. yeah. and so sometimes it's hard to know who's in charge of what area, but we try and just have good communications to keep up with that. And in, you know, some of our smaller clients that we work with, they maybe are a little bit understaffed sometimes. And so there can be some pressures there or they're small and they don't want to be small and their sponsors don't want them to be small. So they're rapidly trying to scale up, mm. which comes with a whole different set of issues. So we just try and be nimble and just kind of take each situation you know, as it comes, I don't think we have any preconceived notion of, you know, this company's big. So the relationship's going to go like this, or this company's small, because at the end of the day, it's just people, right? And it's yeah. people working with people to accomplish tasks. And so we can all make each other, you know, be successful. Yeah, I think it's interesting. What goes around comes around and you work for one, some of these larger companies and you're good to a few people and they peel off and go to some private equity back place. And they immediately say, the only people I want to work with are AES and I'm the only drilling engineer. So I get to pick my vendors. So guess what? The work is yours. You're like, that is way easier than the bidding it took to get in with your large company, right? <laughs> it's um, not a tragedy. Yeah. The flip side is something transacts and they, they decide to go a different direction, but the oil field is not as big of a place as it feels sometimes. And yeah start to realize over a few years, you know, you people remember you and there can be good ways to remember you and bad ways. But the person across from you that you might be real frustrated with today, you could be coming hat in hand for work tomorrow. Right. Um, so, you know, reputation matters, being professional yeah. at all times. And Chuck, I'm sure you've seen this kind of being on both sides of things where people have circled back to, to you and kind of on both sides of it where you've had to answer them or maybe they've had to answer to you. Yes, definitely. It's a small fraternity out there, the business we're in. And uh, everybody knows who's bad. Everybody knows who's good. You know, it's just uh, don't, don't get cocky and think that you're, you're bulletproof. Yeah, certainly. Well, Justin has jumped on. And so, hey, Justin, how are you doing? Gentlemen, deep apologies. You know, it never fails. We had this teed up for this time and, and I've been trying to get a hold of one of my clients for a couple of days now and they called right before we got online here. So an hour later, here I am. And like I said, I apologize. <laughs> it was not expected. And you you're know, good. I appreciate y'all's flexibility and rescheduling. So uh, yeah, no, no worries, no worries at all. Matthew did a great job. Yeah, he always does. I know I, I'm just here to press record and all the magic comes from him. So <laughs> <laughs> I came in right at the right time to wrap it up, I guess. Eh? <laughs> I think it would be good. You know, I'm always worried about doing the like closing portion. So, you know, first I'll wrap up and I just want to say, Chuck, Zach, thank you for joining us. You're welcome on again anytime. This is always fun to just... Thanks for the opportunity. This was really fun. Yeah, it's always fun to hear a different side of the business and... Justin's really good at apologizing as he as a Canadian, so he can kind of jump in and say that, you know, <laughs> sorry. But 
guys, are, is there, if people want to get to know more about you, how do they connect with you? I know Zach, you're on Twitter. I'm a loyal follower. Chuck, LinkedIn, are there other ways to connect with you if, if anybody wants to reach out? I would out? say LinkedIn. I mean, our website is oglawyers.com. So it's Oliva Gibbs is the name of the firm. So OG Lawyers, kind of OGs of, of the OG. Original gangsters. Uh, Love you can it. Connect with us on there, on LinkedIn. Yeah, Twitter. I don't think Chuck tweets. Do you tweet Chuck? No. No tweet. I got, I got pissed at him. High <laughs> class. Yeah, LinkedIn's great. Okay. Well, with that, Justin, could you tell us how people could leave a review or, or reach out? And yeah, I'll, uh, I'll do the closing last words here. Again, for all the listeners, thank you so much for listening. And like Zach was saying, you know, connect with them on LinkedIn. If you are on Twitter, what we'll do is we'll put the link in the show notes. That way, if you're listening to the show, you can scroll down, click the link, connect. You know, I'm excited to listen to this episode. And so, but if anyone's interested to hear more, reach out. You can reach out to Matt and I at the Flowline at AESfluids.com. Sorry, the Flowline podcast at AESfluids.com. Connect with us on LinkedIn. And yeah, subscribe, leave a review. And if you have any ideas for a show, please reach out, ask questions. A lot of the best conversations and episodes that we have are typically coming from the audience, requests that come in. So please reach out. Matt, any closing last words or you know, Chuck or Zach, anything else you'd like to relay? Any initiatives that you, know, you may, may have come up as we're closing out here? We're hiring. So if anyone uh, listening, you know, we want to talk to folks whose career goal is to be an amazing oil and gas attorney. So, you know, we've got a great culture. We have an aggressive hiring plan right now. And my job is to talk to the best oil and gas lawyers in the industry. So, you know, we'd love to talk to folks who fit that criteria. Is there a link or is there a career page on your guys' website or what's the best way for people to reach out if they feel like they're the right candidate for the job? Yeah. If you just go to our LinkedIn page, all the jobs are on there. Perfect. But only if you're pursuing excellence and not mediocrity. If you're seeking mediocrity, we'll go send you somewhere else. Yeah. We'll send you to your competitor. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but the best. All right, right, guys. Well, hey, thanks again. My apologies for being late, but thank you so much for your time and for everyone out there. Thanks for listening. It was fun fun talking to you guys. Thank you. you. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.